Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Race to Save the World is a climate change film like no other. Instead of focusing on the paralyzing facts, this inspiring feature takes a unique approach by following passionate activists ages 15 to 72 who are in the trenches fighting for a livable future. These brave climate warriors put their lives on the line to push for change regardless of the personal cost. Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Joe Gantz brings an urgent and intimate portrait of the protests arrest, courtroom drama, and family turmoil these activists endure as they've single-mindedly focused their attention on the goal of creating a more sustainable world for future generations. The film, again, is called The Race to Save the World, and we're joined today by the director and producer of the film, and that would be Joe Gantz. Joe, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. This follows a multitude of storylines, as, as I said in the introduction, the people who are involved in in trying to affect change. How did you get drawn to these particular people? What was your entry point into telling this story? I worked on this film for six years. When I started off the film, I followed all kinds of people that had in mind that they were gonna do anything they could to stop climate change. Mm -hmm. And uh, I followed scientists who were coming up with alternative energy solutions. I followed journalists. I followed professors who had written books on the subject, uh, and activists. As time went on, uh, the scientists could possibly make a fortune if their invention proved successful. So I wasn't sure you know, if they were in it for the money or if they were in it for the climate. Right. And so then I figured that these journalists and these you know, professors and authors, they were sort of making their living talking about climate change although that's noble, I really was drawn to the people who were sort of ordinary people who were in the trenches doing anything they could to fight climate change in spite of the fact that created problems maybe with their career, certainly created problems with their families because there was so much time that they had to put into the movement. And so these people had this indomitable spirit where they were 100% focused on doing what they could to turn this around. And I found that uh, you know very inspiring. There are some terrific people we follow in the film, and it runs the gambit of uh, housewives, students, parents, your run-of-the-mill activist people, which I that's the absolutely the wrong way to say that. And it really any- isn't. It really isn't, because the thing about these people is that they are relatable because the difference between the people in this film and sort of all the rest of us is simply that they're taking action. Yeah. And I don't think any of these people look at themselves as, you know, heroes. They look at themselves as regular people and, you know, run of the mill in the sense that they're just like everybody else. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, the, the thing is that these people cannot tune out climate change and the danger that we're all facing and sort of feel like they have no choice to, but to do everything they can to stop it. So let's take a step back because I, you know, I can't imagine anyone listening to the sound of our voices wouldn't understand why this is such an important thing for people to be active about the idea that the climate is changing, that it's 
will create a, a situation where the sustainability of the planet is in question, whether or not we can continue to move forward. And as I often say to people, when we talk about climate and climate change and why it's important, I will often say the planet will survive. Earth as we know it somehow, some way will muddle through this period of time. And the planet does have a history of essentially rejecting the entities at the top of the food chain. That they've done it, it's done it before, and it may do it again, and we may be on the receiving end of that. So these are things of for our own self-interest that putting aside the justice of it all. But these are things that we pe people need to be concerned about and doing what they can. It is certainly for our own self-interest and the interest of our children, grandchildren, and future generations. But it's also in the interest of all the plants, all the animals, yeah. and all the ecosystems. Right. I don't think one can... Um, simply be indifferent to what is at stake here? What is at stake is the future of all living things. And uh, you know, one can certainly step back and say, the planet will recalibrate if this happens uh, and will you know, create future life forms. But I think that we all are pretty attached to our you know, species and all the other species and all the <laughs> vegetation and ecosystems and yeah. we we don't want to lose that and so it's in you know it's an existential threat that uh, i don't think this humanity has ever had to confront before yeah. and it's going to take such a total effort by every nation on earth to really focus our attention on this in order to have a chance to make it graceful transition for us it is going to affect us over the next 50 years, 100 years, no doubt. But I think if we all do everything we can and make it our primary focus, uh, we can make it something that uh, we can get through and make a livable future for all our future generations. And maybe be better on the other side of all of this. Maybe, maybe a greater understanding of the world we live in and how interdependent we all are on each other could be the most. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the aspects that you follow in the film, one of the, the the trial in Washington, state of Washington, where these young people have gotten together and essentially sued the, the government for their right to a sustainable future and clean air. Basically, it's one component of it. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that's an important, I think that's one of those things that gets people's attention. Well, it's a very uh, interesting lawsuit in that uh, they brought a suit against the state of Washington, and there was maybe a dozen young people between probably the age of 10 and 18 who were saying that they had a right to clean air and a clean environment for their own future and safety. And the trial went forward. The first trial, the, the young people won. Yeah. And they had to come up with a plan on what the state had to do to ensure that. And they dragged that out and they undermined it to the point that what they offered as a solution was meaningless. And this is in Washington state where the governor is supposed to be the climate governor. Jay Inslee, right. Ran for president that he was the the person most interested in fighting for, you know, clean climate, a better uh, he was the person best oriented to fight climate change and cared about it the most and would put the most money and energy into it. 
but uh, his administration seemed to undermine this to the fact that it was um, meaningless. And uh, I think a lot of the young people who already grew up with this climate anxiety of knowing that their future was in question, that they really couldn't count on the environment you know, sustaining life in the way we expect it to uh, over their lifetime, that there could be changes to droughts and, and storms and sea level and ice caps melting. And so they already were facing that anxiety. And then the fact that this lawsuit seemed to move in a positive direction and then was so drastically undermined, I think it really made these kids feel depressed and anxious. I want to come back to that because we broadcast out of a college radio station here in Orange County, California. Can't say that I'm an expert in in the sociology of younger people, but I do spend a fair amount of time around them. And it's hard for me to gauge exactly where this fits in into their worldview. Most of them, if not all of them, express a concern for what the world the world that awaits them. But I wondered how much. I mean, this is a kind of a life or death situation for younger people. And I'm, I'm kind of curious from the time that you spent around the people involved, not only in this lawsuit, but others in the film, other younger people. Do you feel as if they are, do they get it? And do you think that they possess the wherewithal to affect reasonable change in all of this? Uh, I think they get it. I think that, um, okay. I think that people, I have a 22 year old, Nathan, who did the music for the film. I have a 28-year-old David who edited the film, both from my own, my experience with my own kids and from the, my experience with the people in the film and others. I think that there is um, a lot of anxiety that people under 30 feel uh, around climate change. Also, you know, on, on top of, you know, climate change creating such an uncertain future and if you look into the facts of climate change, we're already feeling the effects of climate change, but it's going to get worse for the next 50 years because the climate's, uh, the carbon stays in the atmosphere for 40 or 50 years. And so even if we completely stop using fossil fuels today, right. it would continue to get worse for 40 or 50 years. So I think many young people are aware of that. That creates a sense of fear and dread about the future. On top of that, there are economic issues that make it uh, more difficult for younger people today than, say, preceding generations. Uh, and then you have people waking up all around the world, but in this country, to uh, how prevalent racism is. I think people had a sense of that if they were paying attention. But when you see the trials and the videos going on, you see how prevalent it is. And so I think there's so many issues that are making it um, difficult for younger people. And, and I think uh, they would be correct in looking at some of the older generations and saying, what the hell did you do? You know, you, you were so selfish and, you know, didn't look to our collective future and look what's happened. Because we're speaking with uh, the director and producer, the new documentary film called The Race to Save the World, and that with Joe Gantz. The film is coming out on April 22nd. That would be Earth Day. And uh, for people who are interested in watching the film, this is how they, they can go to theracetosavetheworld.com. And from there, you, you will have a couple of ways to, to watch it, either through a, you can buy tickets at an independent movie theater 
or you can buy tickets from a nonprofit organization, which will obviously contribute to their cause and to hopefully better educating the world about the, the crisis that we all face. Any other recommendations or is that the best place to? Well, if you're in different cities, you might hear about the film through the movie theaters that are showing it. Some showing are showing it in person, but most are showing it through a virtual theatrical screening. And so you might hear about it through your local theater if it's an art house cinema. Other people are hearing about it through different climate change organizations. But if you go to the website, theracetosavetheworld.com, you will see all the different possibilities and you can choose who you want to you know, help with a, a, a portion. Half the ticket price goes to that organization or that theater. Which is all this kind of self-reinforcing resources, which is great. These, these, these different organizations, and we see the work uh, being done uh, in the film. And again, I mean, these are people with relatively limited resources, especially when compared to the forces arrayed against them in terms of the oil, the natural gas, nuclear, you name it. There's so many industries that there is a, a um, it's a, just a huge disparity in terms of economic power. I think the film is a, is a positive film because we're seeing people in action. We're seeing what they've done, how they went about it, without exception, nonviolent actions in order to affect not only a particular outcome, but also to continue to educate people about the dangers that we face. And that's really where I think the heart and soul of the film is, is about these people, as I called them run-of-the-mill activists earlier, but these are the people who are actually putting their lives, their reputations, and their freedom on the line. Yeah, as Miriam says, uh, Miriam is 72, yes. and at one point she walks across the country with a small group of people to try to educate people along the way to the dangers of climate change. She says that the antidote for depression is to take action, yeah. and that by you know using her steps and her legs to go across the country and do whatever she can, that that's how she keeps from being depressed. Then Bill Moyer, who is the person who started the mosquito fleet of kayaks that tried to stop the uh, polar pioneer from going and drilling in the Arctic, he says in a conversation with his daughter, who is, I think, about 16 at the time, and they're sitting on the couch, she says that, you know, change is inevitable, and I don't want to fear the future. And he says, yes, change is inevitable, but are we going to be the authors of that change or the victims of that change? The thing about this film is that it is kind of energizing. I think that these people are all taking action. They're all doing what they can. And they're not depressed about the future because they're in the trenches doing what they can to try to turn this around. And you know, many climate change films they tell you how bad things are and how much worse they're going to get. And watching them, it's just overwhelming and depressing. But when you watch this film, I think you see what Miriam is doing at age 72. You see what Aji's doing at age 15. <laughs> and then Bill and Abby and, and Michael, Michael in between. They're in the mix. They're doing all they can. And they're not depressed. In fact, they're energized. They're excited. And uh, I think that is inspiring. And that's what we all need to do. Yeah. We need to get into the streets, make our voices heard, make the politicians aware that we're not going to you know, go away until 
um, the governments take the kind of profound uh, actions that are going to be needed to affect the, the level of change that will, that will have a chance of turning this around. Yeah. We see many examples. You named the, the people who are all part of, in one way or another, trying to affect that change. And I really think it's important to point out just how positive the film is. And you, you mentioned Miriam, and it reminded me of something from the 1980s. And it also reminds me of, you may not see the immediate impact of your actions, right? These people who are doing these things, you might not see what you were hoping to accomplish right away, but you're planting seeds, you're moving the discussion forward, you're pushing towards a critical mass, and that's what we need. But Miriam, I just real quick, Miriam, when she was, when the, her and the group are walking across the United States, it reminds me of the Great Peace March from the 1980s. And I had a good friend who was one of the lead organizers of that particular march. And she was, uh, she was um, one person on this march was on the Peace March as well. But it is similar in that, uh, you know, it's trying to convey something. They said on the website when they were organizing this march called the Great March for Climate Action, they said there was going to be thousands of people from all over the country. It ended up being 50 people when they started and 35 people when they ended. But Miriam says that the main change that they affected was change in themselves. And they walked across the country. They talked to everyone they could along the way. It took quite a investment of time and energy and difficult beyond belief. And when they got to Washington, D.C., I think many of the people felt that walking across the country and doing something uh, like that was not enough, that they wanted to then do some kind of direct action and uh, you know something that would draw more attention to their efforts. And so they ended up doing a, a protest at FERC and then other things. And so they were very inspired from their walk. I think it's important that people got to see the effects of that walk across the country because they didn't do anything to publicize it. And it was a good thing I filmed it. <laughs> there you go. These movements throughout the history of, of mankind have, have always started in a very inauspicious way. And they have gathered momentum from just the action and the persistence and all of the things that people need to bring, the energy, the the love. I mean, I, I think this is maybe a little overstated from, from the 60s, but I think really as we move into this new era where we're going to need to be more cooperative, there are going to be there's going to be massive migration of immigrants from people from people all over the world. We need we need love. We need to be able to say to one another that while I don't know you. I, I, I need to work with you. I need to be a part. You need to be a part of our lives. And it, it sounds a little corny, but at the same time, I don't think there's any other way to get through all of this otherwise. Well, Mike, I might be pretty close to your age. I, I was around on the tail end of the Vietnam War era and the protests there. The Vietnam War era uh, had great clothing, great music, great energy. And I think that... Uh, much of the climate movement uh, is has that same kind of inspiring energy. Yeah. Certainly, if you look at Extinction Rebellion and some of their protests, they have all kinds of costumes and artwork, and and even what uh, Bill Moyer does in his protests in Seattle with the mosquito fleet. They use big banners and they do artwork. It's depressing to just sit on your couch 
and think about climate change and how it's going to affect all of our lives. But it's uplifting, energizing, inspiring to jump in and get involved and be around a group of people who care about each other and care about the climate and care about our collective future and uh, know that you're doing everything you can to, to affect change. And I think we can still make the kind of profound changes that are needed if we all jump in, play our part, make our voices heard, take to the street, we can, we can affect change. That's a great way to end our conversation. The, uh, the film is called The Race to Save the World. And it's been an honor to talk with our Emmy award-winning uh, producer and director, and that would be Joe Gantz. Joe, thank you so very much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Mike, for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.